Awesome. That sound good? How many of you, how many of you love, uh, oh, let's, let's pray over the word. I want to, I want to talk the next uh, few weeks potentially over walking and our calling as royalty. You want to stand with me and we'll pray over the word together? Let's do that. Let's pray over the word together and just uh, align our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we just uh, open our hearts to hear from you. We ask that you will be the one uh, moving upon us. You, you would be the one preaching, uh, teaching, uh, opening up wisdom to us, leading us into new thoughts even. We just ask that, that even as we're sharpened in the word today, you'll also lead us into new provoking thoughts. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Good to have Chris and Brianna in the house. Where are you at, Chris and Brianna? All right here, second row. Chris and Brianna. Uh, so all the way up from Texas, we love you, we love them, amen? So if I'm speaking to them, I say we love you. If I'm speaking about them, I say we love them. So greet them afterwards. They got up for Christmas season, and so that's cool. Um, thinking a little bit about glory and greatness, and... Um, you know, in culture, um, you know, all of us are drawn to glory and greatness. Are you drawn to glory and greatness? Anybody? Anybody would admit it? Like, probably the top grossing movies of all time are, you know, about uh, Dwayne the Rock Wolf. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, a little confused there, but, you know. You know, Superman movies, you know, movies that... Movies and literature and books, you know, from the Cinderella story to, uh, you know, to Superman, to Batman. Uh, some of the fondest memories in our house over the Christmas break, we had a little bit of time to uh, put in some of the old DVDs. And, um, you know, some of the fondest memories in the house are the, are the boys running around with capes on so uh, mom, made, mom made capes for the boys, and they had a little Velcro strap so they'd hook around the neck, you know, and they would run around the house like they were Superman or Batman. You ever do that? Any of you admit such a thing? <laughs> Devin, yes? How many of you still do it? There you go. All right. Yeah, a few of you still do it. That's good. Um, you know, so they'd run around, and they would jump off the couches, you know, and they would look back and watch that cape fly. You know, and just, you know, just, and so we had, you know, all sorts of games that we would play. We would, you know, uh, one time I, I had the privilege, I think, of breaking Caleb's foot or ankle or something on the trampoline playing one of our superhero games. And, um, yeah. Um, but just, you know, just thinking of that and thinking of, of greatness and glory, it, it brings me to the question... Um, though, as we think about church and God and the kingdom, do we know where that stuff came from? Do we, do we subconsciously, do we subconsciously think that, um, that too much of that could be maybe sin? Uh, could it be that greatness and glory could be a part of the fall? Could it be that 
that the desire for greatness and glory is something that we subconsciously, we, you know, we're drawn to it, but subconsciously we also avoid it. Because it's really, it's really not for us. And this is, this is part of what I want to I, I touch on a little bit and connect with you on, is how we see ourselves. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in glory? Do you see yourself as royalty? Do you see yourself rejected? Do you see yourself inside? You're on the inside path? Or do you see yourself on the outside? Are you inside looking at life from that angle? Or are you on the outside looking at those who are on the inside? What is your life angle? I happen to think that the craving for glory, I think the craving for greatness, uh, I happen to think that it started in the garden, that God is the instigator of all of this. And that somehow within us, we have the residue, we have the residual, and it's been passed down through all of these ages, and it's not only present in culture, present in society, but it's present inwardly that we would, that we would live bigger than who we appear to be. That we would touch somehow on glory in our generation. That we would somehow leave a legacy that is larger than ourselves. And that it's connected to, it's connected to where we started and how we started. Because we started in glory. We started in glory. We started, Adam started without sin, and a part of the framework of without sin was to be covered by God's glory. The reason they felt naked when they sinned is because the glory was their covering. The glory of God was their covering. And now we fast forward to Romans chapter 8, and you know, so many New Testament passages talk about how that we are given the righteousness of Jesus when we come to the Father through him, that we're justified and that those whom he justified, he also glorified. You're already a glorified being. You have been restored to glory. Something we should tell ourselves every morning when we wake up. Every morning when we look at the frailty of our flesh, or when we look at the aging of our flesh, or when we, when we feel an ailment in our flesh, we're still those who are partakers of glory. And I don't think God was just baiting us when he filled the Bible. You know, he filled the Bible with all of these stories, and I think it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's, uh, um, it's not politically correct for sure. To fill the Bible, you know, the Old Testament is filled with all of these people whose lives are bigger than life. How do we measure up to that? 
How do we measure up to David? Kills Goliath. Rules the kingdom. Builds cities. Takes over fortified fortifications, you know. Builds the greatest habitation for the presence of God in Zion. You know, how, do we, how do we live up to Daniel? How do we live up to, why did God even put this stuff in the Bible? It just seems so non-YMCA-ish. You know, at the YMCA, as the boys were growing up, uh, they, they kind of moved into this policy where they wouldn't keep score. You weren't supposed to keep score. And it's, this is kind of the trend of the day. The, the trend of the day is that everybody has equal glory. Everybody has equal greatness. And in the Lord, we have the potential for such. But we have to lay hold of it. We have to see it. We have to embrace it. We have to walk in it. It's a royalty that we have in the Lord that's uncommon. Though every believer in Jesus has that potential. And I think that this is how, this is how Father started us in the garden, right? Uh, Father, Father spoils us in the garden. He spoils Adam and Eve with glory in the garden. And the glory that, that they part took of in the garden was this glory of sonship, this glory of, of, of literally walking as the kids of God, right? And so in walking as the kids of God, they were actually given the earth and then they were in fellowship with Father and they were to rule over the earth or co-rule with Father over the earth. And he comes to them daily and he talks to them. And the glory of that sonship was so rich and the unity with Father was so rich. The co-working, the co-partnering was so rich that Adam names all the animals even, right? Think about that. Think about hanging out with Hanging out with, with God, and we believe that was Jesus that he was hanging out with, right? Because no one's seen the Father, but Jesus, the only begotten, has revealed the Father. So he's hanging out with the one of, in whose image he's made. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Wow, I kind of look like you. I know, I just made you. How's that? That's pretty cool. He's made in his image and his likeness. And then he's naming all the animals. This is, this is, this is the partnership that God has in mind for us. Like, you know, God has this co-ruling partnership with us. And through the fall and subsequent to the fall... As redemption was forthcoming, God yearned for that to be restored. He yearned for a restoration of sonship. He yearned for a restoration 
of intimate fellowship. He yearned for a relationship where glory was once again on his children, and they were known as sons and daughters. And it even says in Romans chapter 8 that the earth would rejoice in this, that all of creation was looking forward to this. All of creation was looking forward to you. Did you know the earth is not groaning over you? The earth is rejoicing over you. Did you know the earth, the, the earth is actually alive? How many of you have heard that stuff? Even rocks are wiggling right now. I know the ladies are wiggling but to keep warm. But, but rocks, right, are, are, are moving. Everything's alive. And it rejoices in you who have become the sons and the daughters of God. And, and this, this, is, this speaks of the glory that Father has for us. He wants to co-rule with us. He wants to co-labor with us. There's something about it revealed even when he comes to Abraham. And he says, should we show, should we, this is the Godhead, should we show him what we're about to do in Sodom? And the relationship between Father and Abraham is so, it's so interesting. I, I really think that as far as we've come, and this is kind of wild to think about it, as far as we've come in New Testament Christianity, we have yet to fully capture what some of these great ones walked in. How is it that Father had dialogue with Abraham and Abraham thought it was normal? And then he even thought that he could argue with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you had an argument with Father lately? A little dialogue with Jesus? A little jesting with Jesus? He's like, would you destroy, but, but hang on, hang on, would you destroy the city if there were 50 righteous found in the city? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that interesting? And then, you know, later on he comes with uh, 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 frustration over the children of Israel because while Moses is up on the mount, they've made an idol out of the gold and gone crazy on him and and he's ready to again pour out frustration upon the children of Israel and we see Moses dialoguing with God hang on hang on hang on let's talk about this I think these are little pictures of sonship. These, these are little pictures of sonship that God has called us into a royalty wherein he actually likes it that you have a brain. And he has called us and he's, he's brought us into a redemptive place in our own inner man to where he, he, he enjoys dialogue with you and he wants to co-labor, co-rule with you. It's interesting 
And most of the theology that I grew up in, the co-ruling with Jesus, was always put on the other side, somewhere into the sweet by and by. But I want to submit to you that, that Father wants to co-rule with you right now. And part of that is because of, you know, some of our theology, our end times theology, of which, you know, I greatly disagree with. But for instance, Galatians chapter 4 talks about Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. So then we make these assumptions he's not going to rule now, that Jesus is not ruling. That's kind of a weird one. The same people that are making an assumption that Jesus is not ruling now because he isn't going to rule the earth until he rules from the present day Jerusalem, those same people are telling you that God is sovereign and there is no devil. And that everything happens for a purpose. Those are like bipolar theological suggestions, aren't they? We got some messed up theology out there. So Galatians chapter 4 says that the Jerusalem from above is our mother and that currently Jesus is already ruling from that Jerusalem. But who's he rule through and who's he rule with? He rules through and with us. And the qualification of these passages, like Romans chapter 8, it's not, it's not ruling and reigning through those that have been the seminary. It's every born-again believer. That he is ruling, that you are royalty, that you truly are a kingdom of kings and priests unto our God. But we have to look within us, and maybe we have to look within us daily. Maybe we have to look within us moment by moment and win the battle over pauper thinking. Some of us have a bigger battle to win over pauper thinking because some of, us, some of us weren't raised in an atmosphere where royalty was cast upon us. There are atmospheres where royalty is more cast upon us. I've met people, I've met people where royalty is cast upon them. I have a friend in Uganda and the Lord gave me that word over that person, and that's what I call her. I call her royalty. And when I first met her, that was like this prophetic word that the Lord gave me over her. Joel and I have met people that it just seems like that the, there's some kind of a touch of royalty that comes through them. Over the weekend, we watched Amazing Grace. Have you watched Amazing Grace? It's the movie of Wilbur Wilberforce. Anybody watch that movie? Okay, so write that one down. Pull out your phone and write that one down. On the count of three. Amazing Grace. You have to watch that. It's where the song Amazing Grace came from. And Wilbur Wilberforce in the 1700s 
was a politician in Britain, and he was responsible for the abolition of slavery in Great Britain. And the moving force in his life was this older gentleman who was the captain of many ships that brought slaves out of Africa, and he references 20,000 slaves, 20,000 souls that haunted him every day. And one of the key relationships with Wilbur Wilberforce in the movie is a gentleman who was in Africa, a prince. And it's just a great dialogue where they're talking and he says, you know, in my country, I was like you. Royalty, when we touch royalty, when you see royalty, we, we, there's just something about that. If you've had royalty in your blood, royalty in your history, then you have less to fight. Yesterday we went up on the, uh, up on the mountain, up to Snoqualmie Pass, and, and um, on the way home I was telling Mom, I was telling Joel, that... Um, Eliana and Easton are going to be so privileged. I mean, they, they are going to be like buffeted with royalty. They're going to have something around them. Grandkids like this have something around them that I never had. I never had cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas telling me that I was great all the time. Telling me, you can do it. You can do it. You can do this. Come on, you're amazing. Oh, that was so good. I mean, we're up there, and we're trying to get them to come down, you know, the sledding hill, and we've got the sled up there. And, you know, and just, you know, you literally applaud every little thing, and if they've got little, some little look of fear in their eyes, you know, you, you try to deliver them of that fear, right? And perfect love will dismiss fear. And so they're like, oh, okay, you know, all right. And there's something about that environment. They aren't going to have some of the battles that some of us have had to lay hold of understanding that you are now a son, a daughter of God, that you are, that you are set apart, that you are royalty, that you, that you are a partaker of the glory of God. You are a partaker of the glory of God. And that God wants us to co-rule with him. Let's, let's run over to, uh, it's quiet in here, isn't it? When the furnaces aren't running, do you notice that? It's just more quiet. If you aren't helping me, if you aren't more noisy, this is really disturbing. Can you tell? Can you? It's like, we need some blowers blowing. Wow. Let's go over to Romans chapter, 14, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. I know, if you would laugh or giggle a little bit or something. I don't know. Wow. I need to make a big flub so we all laugh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So now we're calling Father, uh, we're calling him our dad, right? There's this term of endearment. And the spirit that has brought us into sonship is not a harsh spirit of punishment or a spirit, and we've been reading about that in 1 John 4.18. This is not a spirit that has brought us into slavery. And Jesus says this, right? He says, no longer do I call you slaves. And he says, for one thing, is because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. But he says, from now on, I'm going to call you friends. And it's this term of nearness and dearness and endearment. From now on, I'm going to call you friends. And, and he says, and everything that the Father has shown me, I'm going to show you. We're going to bring you in on family plans. You get to come in on family plans. This is part of the, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit is so that you would be brought into family plans. The Holy Spirit brings us into knowing what Father's up to, seeing and hearing what Father's up to, right? So he says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and that you, you, will, you will have dreams and visions. You will understand, receive, and perceive prophetic insight. Now, the prophet is the seer in the Old Testament, right? So suddenly now, as you shift into this realm that you live in now, as those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've received the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, you have this relationship with Father. It's not, it's not just so that you could do supernatural things. It's actually to bring you into Father's business. It's actually to bring you into the family business. It's actually bring you, to bring you in to what the family's up to. It's to bring you in to flowing with Father and understanding what Father's doing. You don't need to say much now. A blower came on. You hear that? It's pretty good. Now, if we are children of God, if we are children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Now, this is interesting. Christ is the anointed, the word there, Christ. It's the anointed. We are co-heirs with Christ. The, the co-heirship of Christ is the rule of the world, by the way. Oftentimes, again, oftentimes when we think about Jesus or when we think about the Christ, the anointed one, they looked forward to the anointed one coming. When the anointed one came, the Messiah, he was coming as a man. They understood the Messiah would come as a man. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who was a man, and that Messiah would rescue them. So even passages like this, I think we have to see them sometimes in his humanity, not in his divinity. You are co-heirs with Christ, the perfect man, who is now the Lord of the earth, who is the perfect man over the earth, of whom Father is co-laboring with to bring about his will in the earth. So we get this picture of he is the head and we are the what? We are the body, right? He's the head, we are the body. So we have this co-working with him. He's seated in heavenly places, but we're seated there with him. 
But what he wants to do and needs to do as the perfect man in the earth has to flow through us. And so he gives us his glory. He shares with us his glory. You know what I think the fear of the Lord is? This is a sideline. I'll, I'll give you a, uh, another interesting thought. Isaiah chapter 11 talks about the seven spirits of God. One of them is the fear of the Lord, and it says that he, the anointed one, was anointed with these spirits, right? And one of them is the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. So then, have you ever meditated on that? How could the Lord be anointed with the fear of the Lord? So does that mean that Jesus had a reverent fear for Father? Maybe in his humanity we could understand that or explain that. But you know what I think the fear of the Lord is? I think the fear of the Lord is better known out of Isaiah 11 as the dread of the Lord. And I think it's better known as what Rahab said when the spies came in to the land. The dread of your God fell on us when we heard that you were coming our way. And I think this is what the glory of the Lord does. I think when we, when we are partakers of the glory, I don't know that we know this, but the glory of the Lord goes before us to win battles for us, but oftentimes we don't engage in that which could have brought forth a victory because we don't realize that the dread of God, the fear of the Lord is on us, or the fear of the Lord is coming upon our enemies we're coming up on the enemy. All we really need to do is just show up. We, we have to remember that day. That day they didn't march around the city on the seventh day for seven times with bazookas and clubs and swords. And I mean, for the most part, the battle was the Lord's. And as they shouted, the walls fell. God won a mighty victory. It wasn't through the arm of the flesh. Because of what? Because of the dread of God. Rahab actually says, Our hearts melted like wax when we heard you were coming. Where have you been? That was 38 years ago. In other words, they could have had a victory 38 years prior because the glory of the Lord was on them. The dread of God accompanied them. They could have had a victory 38 years prior, but because they turned away in unbelief, they didn't partake of the victory that was theirs because of the glory of the Lord that was on them. I think that this, um, uh, I, I, I want to shift over to Daniel chapter, I want to shift over to Daniel chapter 10. I think that this is part of what God's calling us into when we come up to a season like the one that's before us right now. So right now, we are, we are turning our hearts to this Daniel fast. We're turning our hearts to 21 days starting January 6th. 
We're turning our cupboards, our appetites, we're turning maybe uh, our attention, we're, we're moving focus, potentially uh, adjusting schedules, right? So that we are going to be looking to the Lord for 21 days in a richer, deeper way. That's what this is all about. This is, a, this is about a Daniel fast, the Daniel fast, and of course the Daniel fast, we take it out of Daniel chapter 10. It's found there in Daniel chapter 10. Prior in Daniel, it was also a part of how he lived a sanctified life or presented himself before the Lord so that he could hear from the Lord so that he could partner with the Lord. Daniel understood that he had a co-partnership with God in the earth, that he was co-ruling with Father, and that he was instrumental in these four governments that he served under. Daniel had some understanding that was going on. That story is there because God calls us to that same kind of understanding. That, that now that you find yourself in a large nation like this, and you find yourself busy with life, and you find yourself with financial needs and businesses and everything going on, you find yourself in a world where there's media and there's, and there's already giants in every realm. There's giants of education, and there's giants of technology, and there's giants of media, and you find yourself in that world. God is trying to say through people like Daniel, don't demean yourself. Don't see yourself small. Don't retreat from your royalty. Don't talk yourself out of significance in your generation. Just because you find yourself in this kind of a spot doesn't mean that I don't want to co-rule with you. Doesn't mean that we don't have a partnership. Doesn't mean that I won't come and talk to you. Doesn't mean you're not a seer or one who will be given sight to see. The earth is rejoicing that you would walk as one who is led by the Spirit. The earth is rejoicing that you would, would be one who would partner with God to co-rule with him. And it's not just through prayer, but in prayer we discover how he would use us. And we want to hear well. And so part of this, you know, as a church, I don't know how many years we've been doing this, but I mean, there's breakthroughs that come every year. There are breakthroughs that come every year. Sometimes the breakthroughs come for some of you within three days, within two days, within, within ten days. Some of you, uh, the whole season is a breakthrough season. Some of you, it comes at the end of the season. And what makes this particular fast cool is that it's doable. Number one. Number two, Father loves it because you're setting aside not sin. You're not setting aside sin. Well, of course we're assuming you're setting aside sin. We assume you do that before the Daniel fast. I kind of wonder about Lent. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the lint that men find in their belly button. I'm talking about I'm talking about the season that's preceded by Mardi Gras. 
So where we feast on sin, but then we move into Lent where we won't sin for a period. I, I kind of wonder about stuff like that. I, I don't know the power of that, but I, I know the power of this. When you set aside things that are legally yours, and it's normal to partake of these things, and in Daniel chapter 10, it's meats, sweets, and wine. When you set those things aside for a period of time and say that you want a greater glory, you want a taste of greater seeing and greater hearing and a greater glory, and that you are going to take things that are legally yours, but they're temporal and they're natural, and you're going to set them aside because you want him to be your sweet and you want him to be your meat and you want him to be your wine. It's in those seasons that I have found the richness of God. It's like the cologne of the church. It draws him near. It draws him near. And I don't know about you, but I want to draw him near. I want to draw him near. Because within me, as with you, is that Garden of Eden memory and that craving within for greatness in my generation and to touch on something that's larger than me and to leave a legacy and to live a supernatural life. And I know that it's a partnership that flows out of his victory and it flows out of sonship and it flows out of the royalty that comes that's manifested that's made rich in communion let's stand this morning I'm going to ask the team to come Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphos around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face was like lightning, his eyes were flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who with me, were with me did not see it. Such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision, and I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed... You who are highly esteemed. I don't know how you see yourself this morning, but Father would say over you, 
today, you who are highly esteemed. You who are highly esteemed. You who he chose in this generation. You who he wants to use mightily. You who he wants to co-rule with. You who he sees as royalty. You who he's made a son and a daughter. No longer a slave, but a friend. One he's brought in and near. I don't know about you, but I get way too busy. I get too busy with radio and television and work and projects and punch lists. I get way too busy. I get so busy that many times I don't hear well. There's so much better hearing for me. Sometimes I don't see well because I get so busy. I get a little bit of a Martha thing going on instead of a Mary thing. And I'm asking you as you look forward to the beginning of the year that you would join with us, that you'd be a part of this, that you would see what God would do, that you would allow his heart to touch you in a new and a rich and a prophetic way. That you would even just experiment with us. Make it a 21-day experiment. Just to see what God would do. To see what he would loose. To see what he would release. To see what he would say. To see what he would declare. To see what kind of glory would increase in your own life. I love this. He goes on to say, from the day that you set your face to be heard, we heard you. Heaven heard you. But we were withstood for 21 days because the prince of Persia, a demonic entity, withstood us. It's a great passage about spiritual warfare, about things that are happening in the spirit realm. But Daniel, a man, broke through. Daniel, a man. A normal, a common, put your pants on one leg at a time human, broke through. Angels were loosed. Power was dispatched. God moved. Because he set his face toward God for 21 days. That's our heart. That's our heart for you. That's our heart. That even as we look toward 2020, we would say, we want more. We want more. We want more glory in our nation. We want more restoration in our nation. We want more righteousness in our nation. We want more globally. We want more love one to another. We want less divisiveness and more unity. It's not just more signs and wonders and healings and manifestations such as that that we want. We want righteousness in our nation. 
God's going to hear our prayer. God's going to partner with us. He's going to partner with us. He's going to co-labor with us. And we're going to co-labor with him. Lord, we just set our hearts toward you right now. Would you just pray? We just set our hearts toward you right now. It's amazing that you've brought us into your confidence. It's amazing that you love us as you do. It's amazing that you highly esteem us. That you've chosen us. That you've called us. That you've brought us into a richness. That you cover us with glory. That you go before us to defeat the enemy. And we just welcome right now the partnering of that relationship. We come up to who we're called. We come up. We come up to that place wherein we're called to be the royal sons and daughters you desire us to be. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment more. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and to make themselves available to pray. If you're here this morning, you're giving your life back to the Lord. This is your moment. If you're here this morning, you've got some issue between you and Father that you want resolved, this is your moment. I want you to come and find one of these prayer partners. Allow them to pray with you. Allow them to lead you into an assurance of salvation, an assurance of knowing God, an assurance of sin forgiven. If you're here this morning and you're desiring a greater revival within, you just feel and you just sense that things are a little dry, a little dead inwardly, and that you know that there's something deeper for you to touch again in God. Would you come and allow them to pray with you? We're going to close in worship. God bless you, church. Looking forward to seeing you in the new year. It's going to be amazing.